man. Uh, so Mike is right, but in two weeks I'm going to say that Mike's not right. So <laughs> because today we're coming to the close of this letter. Okay, we're coming to the end. And if you've had any experience reading the Bible, if you've had any experience studying the Bible, very, very often when you come to the end of one of these letters, you kind of think, all right, so the good stuff is gone. This is like the credits at the end of a movie. That's kind of how it can feel to read the end of some of these letters because you feel like, all right, yeah, tell everyone I said hi. Everyone here says hi. Um, and that's kind of what we're going to look at today. That's what these verses say. But, but, if any of you have seen any of the movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, if you've seen any of the Avengers movies, you know that there's something in the credits, right? There's the mid-credit scene. There's the post-credit scene where cool stuff happens. Sometimes it furthers the plot. Sometimes just people hanging out and having a good time. Well, I got to tell you that in these credit verses... There are post-credit scenes and there are mid-credit scenes. There are truths in these verses. There are relationships and stories in these credit verses that have the power to give us invincible joy. Okay, they have the power to keep us in invincible joy. And so what we're going to see in these verses today, we're going to experience the invincible joy of direction. Okay, the invincible joy of direction. Okay, that's what we're going to see. So let's read verses 20 to 23 of Philippians chapter 4. This is how the letter ends. It's in your bulletin. The verses are up on the screens. Friends, this is God's word speaking to you today. It says, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is God's word. We're going to look at three points from these, uh, these verses. Uh, the first one is that there's this call to us in seeking direction in your life, I don't know if you ever think about this. Sometimes people think about this. Sometimes people don't think about this. Some people have a real set direction in their lives, and some people just sort of, I don't know, they're kind of just doing whatever's in front of them. And so whatever manifests itself in front of them, they respond to it. And so some people know where they're going. Other people are like, eh, I'm just cool. I'm, I'm along for the ride. Um, God wants to give us direction, right? God has an aim that he wants to, it, it's like he, he sort of positions us. And then like, with, with, you know, loving hand in the back sort of pushes us forward in a direction. He wants to direct our lives. And so we're going to see three points that all help us to understand the direction of our life that will give us invincible joy. Okay, and so three points to get into this direction for our lives. Whether you're Christian or you're not Christian, this is the direction that God says will give us invincible joy. And so the first point that we're going to see is that we are to love God. The direction of your life should include loving God. And this is verse 20. It just says again, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so at the end of this letter, the apostle Paul who wrote this is saying, look, the aim of all of our lives, the aim of everything that I've said to you, 
the aim of all of the blessings that I've communicated to you that come from Jesus, the work that you need to do to get your life right, to deal with the conflict in this church, all of it, all of the aim, all of it, everything I'm telling you to do is all designed so that you in your life would give glory to God. Okay, I think the next slide actually has the verse so we can look at it on the screen. Um, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. God deserves glory. God deserves honor. God deserves worship. And so when you worship God, this is the best thing that you can aim at. And, and the good news is that you're in a place right now where you're giving glory to God. It's like most people get that being here, singing to God, listening to God, committing to God, renewing your relationship with God, confessing your sins when we do that, communing with him at the table of our Lord, like all of this worships God. But in every area of life, you can give glory to God. In every area of life, anytime you make a decision to do anything because you love God, you're giving him glory. Your life glorifies God. And this is like like, this is the goal of our lives. This is more important than anything else. Okay? There is nothing in your life that's more important than giving God glory. So there's no other relationship in your life that's more important. There is nothing that you would do that is more important. There is nowhere else you would go that's more important than spending your entire life giving glory to God, living in a way that would make him happy, living in a way that would show the respect that your creator is due, deserves, for all of the blessings that you have, for all of the things that are good in your life. They all are gifts from God. They're all reflections of him. And so this comes first and foremost. And what's exciting is that while this is more important than everything else in your life, this idea of giving glory to God, of living for God's glory, it also includes everything else. So all the important relationships in your life that aren't as important as your relationship with God all of those relationships, if you love those people, if you serve those people, then you are actually glorifying God. So God is honored, God is glorified when you love those most important relationships in your life, your spouse, your kids, your friends, your church, your church family, like all of those things, people at work, Right, So it includes everything else. While you're doing everything else in your life that you're already doing, well, maybe not everything in your life that you're doing, because this does sometimes call us to stop doing things that don't honor God. But in all of the good things, in relationships, in work, in, gosh, exercise even, in relaxing, in entertainment, in Sabbath rest, right, in creativity, in yard work. I mean, in all of these things, you can do these things in a way that says, God, I'm doing this because I love you, and I'm doing this in a way that hopefully reflects that I love you. And when you do that, God is honored. And so this is why Jesus says that the greatest commandment is to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Like with everything about you, love God. And so this includes spending time with him, right? Because when you follow this direction with your life, you will have joy. 
And this joy, it's, it's invincible because no matter what happens in your life, no matter how good or how bad things are in your life, you will know that in the midst of it all, you're serving God. You're living in a way that shows that he's the most important thing in your life. And in this way, your life gives him glory. And when you know you're doing this, you have joy. When life really is awful, when life is full of suffering, and when the suffering that you're going through includes malevolence, where people are just being evil to you, they're being mean, they're being rotten, even in the midst of that, no matter how bad life gets, no matter how bad life gets, when you are, when you know that in the midst of it all, you're trying to honor God, you're doing your best to put him first, you know that he's pleased, and it gives you a joy that is true and real in the worst circumstances. And so, man, there's this deep satisfaction that it's like you're like, life sucks, but, but this is real. Like, I'm still standing. I'm still following Jesus. And that gives you invincible joy. And so, we want the direction of our life to love God. Second, from these verses, verses 21 and 22, we see that the direction of our life is also to love the church. To love the church. And so verses 21 and 22, we'll put them up on the screen. It says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you. And what I love about these verses is, is that they say, these communicate that the church is full of incredibly special people. Okay? You all are saints. Paul says, greet every saint. Um, the Roman Catholic Church has sort of taken and co-opted this word saint, but the way that they use it is not the way that the Bible uses the word saint, because a saint is not a special class of super-Christians who are above everyone else, um, in the Bible, everyone who believes in Jesus is a saint. And they're special. They're special because God has chosen you. Because God has set his love on you. It's because God is at work in your life. And he who began a good work in you will continue it will till the day of completion. And so you have God's family name. This is what baptism means. You're baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So you get a, it's like an adoption certificate that says you have a new last name. You are of the family of the God who has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so this is who you are. And so what Paul is saying in these verses is he's saying, if anyone loves Jesus, we love them. That's what he's saying. All the saints greet you. Um, I'm sorry, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. And so this has the weight of tell every Christian in Philippi, tell every Christian there that I said hello, that we said hello, and make sure that you remind them that they are saints. Paul is pronouncing over you a title, that you are one of God's special people. You're his son, you're his daughter. He loves you. You're called to be special in the world. 
You're, you're called as the special ones, the direction of whose lives are to follow Jesus. And sometimes it's against the grain. Very often it's against the grain. And so every time you open the Bible, like we can say it this way, every time you open the Bible, this passage wants you to know that God greets you as his special son or daughter. That's what the gospel teaches us. And this verse confirms that you are a saint in Christ Jesus. The, um, our, our friends from the South have given us another way to translate um, the word you in Greek. Uh, they have something that we don't have in English. They have a second person plural form. So when you're trying to talk to a bunch of people, the Southerners teach us this, right? What do they say? They say, all y'all. Okay, that's second person plural, right? You, but a bunch of you, right? So we're talking to all y'all. And that's who he's talking about. So this is true for you. Every saint in Philippi, every saint in Harbor City Church. And the point here, one of the points, and this is what I think is underneath why Paul spends time greeting people, is that he wants you to know that you are not alone. In your walk with Jesus, you're not walking by yourself. Okay, Jesus is with you. That's true. But sometimes, say this reverently, sometimes Jesus is not enough. Sometimes I need Jesus through someone else who can look me in the eye and tell me that Jesus still loves me. Sometimes I need someone else to give me a hug. Sometimes I need somebody else for tears to form in their eyes as I'm talking to them about the pain that I'm going through. Um, now, sometimes Jesus communicates directly to me that way, um, but not always. And so, but the point is that you can't, that, that you can't do following Jesus alone. And the good news is that we're not meant to. Uh, the good news is that, that this is why the church exists. And I know we talk about the church, the church is all messed up. I mean, it's full of messed up people just like us, who messed up things just like we do. And so the church is not perfect. Man, but but we're trying, you know, we're trying to be a church that's honest, that owns our brokenness, that doesn't act like we're less broken than we really are, so that we can create a space where we can all just admit, okay, yeah, we know the church is messed up, but God still wants us to love the church. And so, so we need the strength of other Christians in our lives. Uh, we need the strength of their faith. We need the perspective of other Christians. We need the insights and the wisdom and the responses of other people to help us make Jesus the direction that we're living our lives in. And so Paul's saying, greet every saint, all of you, all y'all. You're all saints. You all need each other. Um, and he says, the brothers here greet you. All the saints here greet you. And so there's another message there. It's saying, look, y'all are here trying to figure this out in downtown San Diego, right? Well, we're here in Rome, and all the people here are, I mean, they're, they're, there's Christians here. There's Christians in other parts of the world. And the idea here is that, hey, I just want you to know that you're part of something bigger, 
this isn't just something that's happening in your city, but this is happening all over the world. Like, this is happening all over the world, and so you're part of this bigger thing that's going on. Um, there are saints around the world, and when they're thinking about it, those saints care about you. I mean, every now and again we mention this, that on a Sunday morning, we come to worship, and there are billions of people, literally billions of people, and you got to figure out where the time zones are, where the international dateline is, but, you know, over the course of, of a day, right, over the course of the Lord's day, there are billions of people all over the world that are doing some version of this. And so, man, it's, it is so, you're part of something that is so much bigger. And so don't be discouraged. You're not alone. It's not just you. Paul makes a big deal about this. We don't think it's as big a deal because Christianity is so kind of prevalent in, in so many ways. But back then, Paul's like, hey, we're just starting to get the message out to the whole world. In Philippi, y'all were the beginning of you were the beginning of the gospel going into the Greek-speaking world. And I want you to know it's working. It's working in your city. It's working where I am. More and more and more people are believing in Jesus. It's true there in Philippi. It's also true here. So be encouraged. Be encouraged. And, and I was thinking about this when I was thinking about the, the mid-credit scenes in the Avengers movies. This loving God and loving, loving the church, really loving the church, it's kind of like the scene at the shawarma shop, you know, when they're all sitting around the table eating shawarma, and you had probably, I don't know, $180 million worth of actors sitting around a table eating gyros. Um, and that's, that was the scene, right? And they were just hanging out, having a good time. That's what the fellowship of the church includes, right? And so these verses, they mean so much more than just, hey, y'all, hi, we say hi. It's more than that, right? There are relationships here. There are stories here. <clears throat> the gospel's at work, and it's working everywhere. In fact, Paul goes on in this verse. He says, there's this, there's this one special group of people that I want to tell you about. There, there's a special group of people, and they're not better than you. They're not more important than, than, than you. They're not more important to God, but they're special because their existence shows just how powerfully the gospel is at work in the world. And this is a phrase that I think Paul actually whispered when he dictated this letter so that it could be sent out. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you especially those of Caesar's household. This is amazing. Like, you have to understand, this is the year 55 to 65. Um, we're talking like 30 years or so after Jesus died and rose from the dead the Roman Empire was in control of the world at the time. They were more powerful than any empire had ever been in the past. <clears throat> and they had imprisoned Paul. Paul was in prison under Caesar's guard. He calls it the Praetorian Guard in chapter one of this letter. And Paul is saying, hey, 
Good news, y'all. I'm in prison. I'm being overseen by Caesar's own guard. And guess what? Some of them have become Christians. You don't get this yet. This is so wonderful. This is so wonderful. Because in this whole letter, Paul's been announcing that Jesus is Lord. He calls him the Lord Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the Son of God. That Jesus is the one who's really in charge. And this was political treason back then. Because to say that Jesus is Lord means that Caesar isn't. And that made the one who said this guilty of treason and subject to the death penalty. This is why Paul was in prison. It's because he was preaching that there was another king and the king's name was Jesus. But look at what this verse says. It says that for all of the power of Rome that was exerted in the world, for all of the strength of Caesar, for his dominance over the world, strength and dominance that put Paul in jail, that while Paul was in jail as a conquered foe, Paul kept telling people about Jesus. And he talks about this in chapter one. He talks about how he wouldn't stop. He kept telling people about Jesus. And even members of Caesar's own family believed in Jesus. Even among the most powerful, among the Romans, people believed that Jesus was Lord and Caesar wasn't. His family members. And back then, households could include family members, servants, maybe even civil servants if you're talking about Caesar. And so, and I just love this because this tells the story of how the gospel works. This is what Jesus said when he says the kingdom of God is like leaven. You sort of sprinkle a little bit in to the dough and you mix it in and it's invisible. You can't see it anywhere, but then it leavens the entire loaf. And so in making Paul a prisoner, they put Paul at the heart of the Roman Empire. They brought, Rome brought a member of the opposition in within the very walls of the emperor's own home. And so there are now people in Caesar's own house who support the Philippian Christians and they proclaim that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And so Gordon Fee is a, is a scholar uh, who wrote a biblical commentary on the book of Philippians and it's my favorite one. He said this, he said, if you let Paul loose in the world, he will turn the world upside down. That's what Acts 17 verse 16 says. It's like they're turning the world upside down. It was talking about the impact that Christians were having in the world. So he says, let him loose, he'll turn the world upside down. Incarcerate him, and he'll turn Caesar's household upside down. Man, and that will turn the world upside down. Because it was just, it was less than 300 years later that the Roman emperor himself bowed the knee to Jesus. And so, in this point of loving the church, we also see that we have an absolute demand from God that we also love the world. We've got to love people. You've got to show people the love of Jesus and how you treat them and how you act around them in the way that you interact. And then you want to share the love of Jesus with everyone, no matter what their race or their gender or their political party, because Jesus is at work in the gospel. 
He works when the gospel is shared. And so in these final words of this letter, Paul is saying, love the church that God loves. Love the church that Jesus died for. And it flows two ways. It flows two ways. You need the blessing of others. You can't do this on your own. But also, others in the church need to be blessed by you. You have gifts. You have strengths. You have perspectives. You have experience. You have a relationship with God that means something. It's real. It's real. And when you talk about it, or when you listen to people, when you pray for them, when you tell them that they're going to make it, when you tell them that Jesus rose from the dead, and so we know the future's certain, in whatever way you encourage, we need you, we need you, we need your gifts, we need your experience of God, because it adds to the wealth of the riches of his blessing that we have here in our church family. Man, and so when you do that, when you love the church and when you are loved by the church, you have this sense that you're doing part of what God has designed you for, and that gives you an invincible joy. Because the worse your life is, the more amazing your testimony of love for Jesus is. Are you with me? Right? I mean, if your life is perfect and you're like, oh, all glory to God. I mean, that's awesome. It's really good. We should do that. But sometimes it's like, well, yeah, of course you're honoring God because you're always winning. Right? When your life is terrible and you continue to honor God. It's even, a, it's, it's an even greater blessing, right? When the people around you, when their life falls apart, if you continue to love them, right? When you continue to love them, it's an even greater sense and you experience this invincible joy. So this amazing story of the progress of the gospel tucked in here at the end of verse 22 Nice mid-credit scene there. Um, so, love God, love the church. The last thing this verse teaches us in terms of directing our lives to invincible joy is to center your life on the gospel. Center your life on the gospel. And this is verse 23. Very simply, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the final word. Grace means favor. It means blessing, right? And the gospel teaches us that it's favor undeserved, right? We just sang it, the reckless love of God. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. But Jesus gave his life for you. All of us have gone in a direction of our lives that is the opposite of Jesus. We've all wandered away from God. And so God came. God came to find us. He came to get us. And he didn't just come to earth to find us, but then he went to the cross to suffer what our sins deserve so that he could bring us home. Jesus gave his life for you, and so you have the grace and the favor of Jesus filling your life. And this whole letter is all about the grace of Jesus. You can go back over it and just say, where is the grace of Jesus found? And you'll see it in every chapter. You'll see it in the way that he has begun a work and he's working in you. You'll see it in the way that he himself left the glory, he didn't use his power to serve himself, but used his power to serve you. 
came as a servant and then died a criminal's death so that you could be forgiven. And that anything that you want to do, that, that, that nothing that you've done matters. Only if you trust Jesus, he forgives you and he loves you and he brings you into his family. And there is no greater direction in your life than to center your life on the gospel and on the God who's at the heart of the gospel. Jesus is the real Lord, not Caesar. And you have his favor. You have his presence and his blessing in your life. And this is designed to be so personal that it gets into the core of who you are. It says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And so this individualizes it. Right? The letter was written to all the saints in Philippi. And you're like, well, I think that's me. You know, that's all of us. So all of us sort of get general blessings. But, you know, different people have different blessings. So I'm not really sure. I think I'm on the low end of the blessing scale. Like, I, maybe I didn't get in line or something. I don't know. Maybe I'm doing something wrong. But no, no, no. This is saying his grace to every single one of you, to the core of who you are, so that it's in your spirit. Jesus manifested himself on earth, goes up to heaven, and he sends his spirit. He sends the Holy Spirit to come and to live inside of us so that you have the presence of God. Everything that you read about God in the Bible is now in you. It's with you. It cares for you. It is living and working and moving alongside you. And so you have a partnership with every other person in this church, right? We're united as a family. You have a partnership with every other Christian in the world. And now you have a partnership with Jesus himself. You have this grace. This letter teaches us how to experience his grace. But even if you don't experience it, here's the glory, is that you have this. It's objectively true about you because it's not based on what you do. It's based on what Jesus did. And if you're following him, you have his grace and so may your lives be characterized by the favor of Jesus. May your lives be characterized by receiving blessings and honor that you didn't deserve. May you understand just how far Jesus went to love you and to bring you into his family. May the voices in your head that don't tell you these things be canceled out and flooded over with a love and a voice from God that says, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. You are my beloved daughter, and in you I am well pleased. May you hear the voice of God in your spirit tell you, I'm not done with you, don't worry. I'm not disappointed in you. I love you, and I'm working in you. May you have this voice in you, May you have it based on the authority of the word of God. God inspired Paul to write this so that this church could grow and flourish. And God had Paul write this so that you would be able to grow, so that this voice would be in you stronger than anything else. May the grace of the world's true Lord, who was crucified and risen from the dead, may this voice, may this Lord be with your spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful to you.
And I think for all of us, this makes us want to follow you even more. And Jesus, you can see the direction of our lives. I feel like we're in this room and we leave this room and go in lots of different directions and, and you're in a place. Jesus, we want to direct our lives to you. Some of us are heading in your general direction and we need to course correct. Some of us are going in a totally different direction. We pray that you would move our hearts by your sacrificial love. So that we would follow you. So I want to invite each one of you just to pray in the quietness of your own heart. Say this to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I need to follow you more closely. There are areas of my life that aren't following you. And I want to follow you because of your great love for me. Jesus, we give you our lives. We commit to following you. And we thank you for your grace that fills in the gaps when we fail and redirects us again and again and again. Redirect us now, we pray in your name. Amen. We're going to receive our offering next. And so if you're going to be giving, please take this next minute or two to prepare your gifts to give. If you'd like to give online, you can do that. The instructions for doing that are on the screens. Um, but whether you give now or you give online even during the week um, or you mail your, 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 your gifts in, take this time. Think about the gifts that you've given to the church and turn those gifts into an act of worship right now. Tell God, I have given and I've given because I love you and in response to your love for me. And then remember, if you have a connection card, please do fill this out and you can drop it in the offering basket as it goes by.